Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> Hello, this is Daniel Foytek, and this is the Wicked Library. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 1. So, before we get started with today's story, I have a few changes I want to let you know about. This is our first episode of the new season, so I beg your indulgence while I share a little bit of detail with you. This will be my fourth season hosting the show and producing it. And one of the things that I like about breaking the show into seasons is I kind of get to try new things which keeps the show fresh for me and for you. So this season, I'm going to be taking the show back to its roots with a single dedicated storyteller for each story. Now, while I will occasionally bring in larger casts for certain stories, and more on that in a moment, I kind of want to allow our voice actors to really show you what they can do by giving them the freedom to tell each story in their own way, in the way that makes the most sense to them. It's it's really what the show was founded on when Nelson started the show, and then when I continued the show for season six, we kind of were the single voice that you heard for each story. And now we have this huge team of amazing voice actors, and because of that, I'm really excited to kind of give you that intimate experience that you really only get with one storyteller, one voice telling you the story. Now, for the larger cast stories that I mentioned, I'm going to be airing one episode each month of the exclusive, fully cast, listener-supported audio drama, The Private Collector. It's a show dedicated to exploring what the librarian does, what his purpose is, and there's a lot of really cool stuff in it, and I think you're truly going to enjoy it. It's written by Aaron Vleck, one of uh, your favorite authors for the show, and it delves deep into the paranormal, the mystic, and the purpose of the librarian. We're going to be wrapping up season one pretty soon with The Private Collector, and that season has really only been heard by a handful of people, and all of us involved in the show are really proud of it, and we want all of you to be able to hear it. So I'm going to release one episode a month of that show for you to hear, And you'll get it right here as part of this show, The Wicked Library. Now, season two, whenever that goes into production this spring, will remain a supporter-exclusive show, meaning you have to support the show at a certain level in order to hear season two right away. Eventually, everybody's going to get to hear it, but it's listener-supported. It's the only way we can afford to make the show, so the reward to the listeners that do support the show is they get to hear it before everybody else. If you decide you want to sign up and support the show, you immediately get access to all of season one. You don't have to wait for it to come out each month. You can listen to them all at once, and you'll get season two as soon as those episodes go up in air. If you want to support the show, and I really hope you do if you enjoy it, you can do that at thewickedlibrary.com forward slash subscribe, and you can find links to support it via membership or Patreon. And depending upon your level of support, You get, first of all, ad-free shows. You get access to our archives with all the past seasons of the show. An exclusive show called Wicked Fairy Tales, which are fairy tales, dark fairy tales told by the librarian. And, of course, early access to bonus stories and The Private Collector. I'm also, by request, going to be separating the author interviews out into their own companion episodes. While I know that many of you have shared how much you love the interviews... I also have ways of telling that some people skip them. And there are also others who have asked me if they can be independent of the story, that they like to listen to them, but the episodes are a little too long with the interviews at the end of the story. So I'm going to be offering up the interviews the week following the airing of each story. So that'll give me an opportunity to have a more in-depth discussion with the authors without making the show any longer. 
And if you're one of those wicked people that skipped the interviews, well, I'm going to make it easier for you to be wicked. Lastly, we're working on a written anthology for you planned for October. It's going to be featuring some of your favorite authors from the show. You can listen for more details as we move forward with season nine. We'll start to tease a little more information. Uh, But they're going to be 13 stories, 13 great authors, and we think you're really going to enjoy it. Now, today's story is told by two very talented ladies, Jessica McAvoy and Amber Collins, and of course scored by our resident composer, Nico Viteze. The Baron, by returning author Meg Hofdahl, appears in our first written anthology for our sister show, The Left. It contains nine stories written by nine Wicked Library alum authors, and there's some amazing bonus stories that fans of The Lift are sure to love. You can get your copy at victoriaslift.com forward slash read. Now, let's get wicked. Ah, so you've come in search of a story, have you? Well, you've come to the right place. My private collection of dark tomes are hungry for your fear filled with stories that are sure to terrify, disturb, and delight. Be warned, though, these tales are not for sensitive listeners. You're going to hear things that will upset and quite possibly offend. Ah, here's a good one. Follow me now and we'll enjoy this tale together. It's story time at the Wicked Library. (laughs) The Baron, based on the short story, The Baron, written by Meg Hofdahl. Savannah expertly positioned the plastic stick beneath her. Through the ragged, hypnotic haze of her lingering nightmares, she coached herself to pee, whispering to her bladder. Come on. Finally, she doused the stick, as well as the edge of her right thumb. Savannah flushed the toilet, pulling up her linen pajama pants, then setting the urine-soaked rectangle on the ceramic lip of the sink. Tingling hope tickled up her sides as she washed her hands with mounds of foamy soap. Her gaze flitted down to the pregnancy test, which still displayed the electronic image of an hourglass. That physical manifestation of hope intensified. It gripped every muscle, causing Savannah to shiver. She concentrated on drying her hands on the buttercream yellow towel, her internal dialogue a flurry of contradictions. This could be it. This could be the time. Don't get excited. It'll only hurt you. It'll take another piece of you. Keep it together, Savannah. She pursed her lips, breathing steadily as she stared into the mirror. Her ebony curls were a wild, matted mess. Although she tried to keep her focus on the eruption of fine new lines at the bridge of her nose, her rebellious eyeballs shifted south. Not pregnant. The two stark words were a sharp, sudden disruption to her bubble of hope. Despair returned as it did every month. Savannah staggered back from the cruel rejection, fighting the tears that obscured her sight. Kenji entered the open bathroom door mid-yawn. He blinked at Savannah, his dark lashes heavy with sleep. You okay? She curled in on herself as she crumpled to the icy tile. Her husband knelt at her side, wearing the same mask of detached concern he always did. He squeezed her thigh. Negative. Why? Why me? It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. His indefatigable optimism burned a hole through her heart. Savannah pressed her chin to her knees, overcome with a quiet, seething rage. He gave her a sympathetic pat on the shoulder and stood. Someday we'll look back on all this like it was a dream. We'll have a kid, a couple of kids, and we won't even remember all the... bullshit. Kenji made it worse with his assurances. 
with his casual rake of fingers through his thick hair. She had never felt so alone, drowning in a pitch-black well of grief, struggling to a surface that wasn't there, that wouldn't reveal itself to her. There was no pinprick of light, no hope. There was only her, alone, an empty, childless husk. Savannah made it to the clinic on time. She swiped the badge on the end of her lanyard across the digital lock. A vet spoke around the green Starbucks straw between her lips. Dr. Hashcom went to Jamaica. <sighs> Lucky. We're stuck with his overflow, remember? Shit, that's right. It's going to be a long day. Forget lunch break. Dr. Schmidt is going to push through, knowing her. Yvette's camo messenger bag rocked with the motion as she elbowed open the door into the dim waiting room. Savannah switched on the fluorescent lights. She blinked at the austere room of gray and cream, unable to see anything but her own despair. Dr. Schmidt came up behind them as Yvette tossed her cup in the trash by the reception desk. Morning? Hope you ate your Wheaties today. We're picking up Fred's slack. He better bring me back a sparkly souvenir. I wouldn't hold my breath, Yvette. Dr. Schmidt, effortlessly beautiful and the mother of twin toddler girls, fiddled with the crumpled collar of her white coat. Savannah closed her eyes, allowing herself to hover in the middle of the waiting room. She wondered what sort of morning her boss had experienced. Had she dressed the girls in matching tights and polka dot blouses? Had she fed them equal amounts of yogurt and fruit and lilac bowls? Had she thanked the universe for her incredible luck? Even Yvette had 16-year-old Bucky, who came by the clinic every now and then to drop off McDonald's or to ask her for an advance on his allowance. Savannah's eyes popped open. Her visceral rage had torn a painful, burning hole in her stomach. Her usual appetite for coffee had drained away, leaving her both tired and nauseous. Petite Yvette climbed up onto her towering chair behind the reception desk. Okay? Yeah, I'll get the door. She moved toward the glass as though in a dream, questioning the unreality of the morning. Despite the predictably drab clinic and the normal banter of her co-workers, it was difficult to accept the not-pregnant that had stolen her happiness. A woman waited outside the Hascom and Schmidt clinic door, sun streaming across her tanned ankles. Savannah concentrated on the glint of light, how it played across the stranger's expensive leather pumps. She pulled down on one bolt with her right hand, while loosening another with her left. When she yanked the door open, the waiting woman whisked inside, peppering Savannah with a fragrant cloud of floral perfume. Good morning. Savannah kept her eyes on the thin carpet. It was all she could do to focus on being human. To walk. To breathe. To keep her emotions inside like bubbling vomit that threatened to escape would be the most she could manage. The woman's swollen belly cast a shadow on the carpet. Hello. Hot as hell out there and it's only 8 a.m. Savannah's ears burned hot at the obvious attack on her already shriveled psyche. Of course, the first patient of the day was largely pregnant. She worked to produce a response. Uh-huh. Scorcher. Oh! Savannah glanced up at the sound. The woman's aristocratic, tawny nose caught at something in the shadowy corner of her memory. You're savvy! Savvy Chan! Yes. Yamamoto now. Ferris High, class of 06! Don't you remember me? The woman reached out her sparkly charm bracelet clacking against Savannah's shoulders as she squeezed the flesh. Savannah's nostrils flared at the potent perfume. She studied the woman's face, 
and the length of her tanned, extended arm flecked with several dark moles. Their distinct, uneven borders finally ripped open her mind. The name fizzled in Savannah's chest as Mackenzie dug her manicured nails deeper into Savannah's shoulder. Mackenzie Burton. Yes! It's been ages! I didn't know you worked here. Hmm. You're expecting. It's number four. Can you believe it? Fertile Myrtle is what Giovanni calls me. That's my husband. He's an orthopedic surgeon over at St. Luke's. Mackenzie Burton hadn't changed much since Ferris High. She'd spoken with the same haughty tone back then, quick to point out Savannah's cheap shoes or throbbing pimple, and always to a group of vile, tittering girls. Savannah could sense her memories of that dark, disappointing time threatening to overtake her. She concentrated on the ripple of baby beneath Mackenzie's dress. It moved visibly, presumably adjusting its cramped limbs. Oh, (laughs) he's a mover and a shaker, I'll tell you. Congratulations. Thank you. You're a nurse here then? Yes, mostly for Dr. Schmidt. Ah, I'm a patient of Dr. Haskell's. Although I hear the bastard is on a beach somewhere. Who goes to Jamaica in the summer? Right? Savannah hovered, unable to unglue her eyes from her former classmate's corpulent tummy. Yamamoto. You married Kenji? I remember him. Quiet but cheery. The anger had become black poisonous sludge. It traveled slowly through Savannah's body like syrup, coating her veins and filling her with sinister notions. Kenji Yamamoto? Oh, yes. After college. High school sweethearts. I think I remember you two at prom. Remember that shit show? What a lark trying to coordinate 500 teenagers on a ferry boat. Hmm. How many kids? The image of the pregnancy test appeared in her mind. Not pregnant. None. Yet. It's a blessing. You won't regret it. My children are my reason for living. Mrs. Burton Rossi? Dr. Schmidt is ready to see you. I just need to scan your insurance card really quick. Oh, sure, right away. Here it is. It was nice seeing you, Savvy. Uh Uh-huh. The hateful sludge slowed its nauseating course. It cemented itself in Savannah's heart. She bit down on her bottom lip, tasting blood. In the handicapped accessible bathroom, with a sliding half-door for urine sample collection, Savannah allowed her jelly legs to crumple. The cool tile floor reminded her of her apartment's bathroom, where she'd spent an inordinate amount of time lately. A fresh wave of anger had joined her agony. It was the time capsule of her teenaged horror, cracked like an egg and left to ooze. Mackenzie Burton had been the archetypal bully, the sort of pretty, marginally clever girl who populated bad teen movies. Yet she'd been real. She had punctuated Savannah's young life with pointed sighs and pitying eye rolls. And she'd returned, baby straining beneath her belly, to flaunt her gifts. To remind Savannah, years later, that some people have all the luck. That whether she was Savvy Chan or Savannah Yamamoto, LPN, she would have nothing more than a dusty womb full of tumbleweeds. Savannah bit into the sensitive seam on her lip, licking at the iron. The visceral image of her insides, of a desert with no oasis, formed into something more ominous. She saw the sharp edges of her nightmare a scalpel expertly navigated through another's soft flesh, 
blood and slippery viscera lapped at her feet like the touch of a foamy sea. It was her own hands, in her mind's eye, working out the prize, the pearl from the oyster. Savannah watched herself pull out the diaphanous sack from the waterfall of blood. She carefully pierced the placenta, widening an opening in order to see, to meet her baby. It had stark black hair, like Kenji. Savannah gulped in air, drunk with the possibility of it all happening so soon. Now, today. She could be a mother today. She could hear her baby's cry, feel the bottoms of its wrinkled feet, smell its unique and intoxicating aroma. It was only Mackenzie who stood in the way. Pompous, cruel, fertile Mackenzie. In the fervor of her daydream, Savannah remembered the baby's ripple beneath the thin fabric of Mackenzie's dress. It was so achingly close. Now, as she rubbed the thread of blood on her chin, Savannah understood that the baby had been calling to her. Hi, Mama. I'm here, Mama. I'm ready to come home. The sounds of the busy clinic burrowed their way into Savannah's ears. Dr. Schmidt laughed about something near her office at the end of the hall. Mackenzie joined in, her braying giggle upsetting the last shred of Savannah's umbilicus to reality. She concentrated on the smudge of blood on her palm, understanding. If she navigated through the rage... If she let the molten hot fire lead her rather than burn her, Savannah could be a mother today. It was easy to find Mackenzie's chart. Savannah calmly clicked the mouse hovering over the red tab, hitting print page one before Yvette could look up from her paperwork and glance at the screen. The single page came out warm. Savannah cradled it absorbing the address written above Mackenzie's weight and height. What a bitch. Startled, Savannah folded the paper, stuffing it into the manila folder containing Mr. Armando's prescription instructions. Sorry if she's your friend, but that blonde woman is hard to take. Always was. Typical. Savannah hugged the folder to her chest. The certainty of her convictions straightened her back. It raised her shoulders and lifted her chin. This was what needed to be done. This was what it would take. I'm going for a walk. I need some air. I'm sick or something. You do look a bit pale. I can cover for you. Thanks. Savannah turned her back to Yvette in order to slip the paper into the waistband of her scrub pants. She dropped Mr. Armando's papers on the desk and headed for the glittering call of the outdoors. On her way to the glass door, the patients, and the tables smattered with magazines, took on an abstraction in her mind. She was surrounded by only shapes and colors encapsulated by a crushing tunnel of things that no longer mattered. As soon as the muggy summer air whooshed through the strands of her ebony hair, Savannah felt better. She strode to the curb, breathing mindfully through her nostrils. The paper scratched at the skin of her hip. It was a pleasant irritation, one that reminded her of the task at hand, of the integral nature of her decision of her purpose. Savannah crossed Valley View Avenue, her eyes glued to the brick side of the mini-mall. Someone honked, but it was tinny and inconsequential. She shook her head, following the sloped parking lot to her destination. Valley Mall was an old-fashioned structure with ten storefronts connected by a roofed sidewalk. Savannah passed Rooster's Grill, her favorite lunch place with Yvette, and Sally's fabric and craft, maneuvering around the obstacles of people. She began to count her steps, 
each one punctuated by the rustle of the paper against the thin fabric of her underwear. The Ace Hardware's door was held open by a thick Rubbermaid filled with pool noodles and squirt guns. Savannah nearly tripped over the summer goodies as she entered the shop. A man, only a brown and blue shape in her periphery, greeted Savannah as she rushed toward the tools. Morning. Looking for something in particular? Savannah extended her finger, carefully touching the toothed edge of a hacksaw. I'm fine. For the first time since she'd pushed through the clinic door, she wasn't sure that was true. It occurred to her, as she lifted the saw up from its hook, that she might not have it in her, that what it took to be a mother today might be too high a price. Back away, Savannah. Stop. This is nuts. Mama, I'm waiting for you. I'm here, Mama. At the thought of her baby, trapped inside Mackenzie, the weakness drained away. Her limbs tingled with the certainty of her mission. Savannah grabbed the hacksaw, a utility knife, and a folded tarp. She dropped her bounty on the shop counter. The faceless man slowly punched numbers into an old-fashioned till. He might have spoken about the weather, but Savannah was too tangled in the web of her sharp thoughts to be sure. A vague paranoia of being found out, of being caught and ultimately stopped, threatened to overshadow the excitement of her plan. After paying with the credit card in her scrubs pocket, Savannah nodded a thank you. She swung the plastic bag of tools against her thigh as she stepped back out into the muggy day. Sweat erupted on her top lip. She licked at the salt, nearly blinded by the intense sunlight. A bench beneath the feeble shade of the roofed sidewalk called to her. Savannah slumped onto the wooden slats, staring back at the window display of sprinklers at Ace Hardware. She was keenly aware of Mackenzie's address, now a bit soggy, curled at her hip. She settled the plastic bag beside her, unable to think of anything else but the end result. Her baby. Her baby wrapped in a sweet blanket. Kenji would be thrilled. An amorphous woman walked by, her flip-flops slapping the cement. Savannah smiled at the distinctive shopping bag in the woman's grip. It was from the baby store, Tina's Tiny Treasures, at the far end of Valley Mall. It had been a place Savannah actively avoided, a reminder of her failures, of an alternate life she had been too weak to fight for. Not now. Not anymore. Savannah rested a hand on her wet brow, peering over at where Tina's tiny treasures would undoubtedly have their tented chalkboard. It would say something clever like, Splash into summer with our newborn swim gear. She squinted, unable to make out the pink gingham curtains. The chalkboard wasn't there either, or the painted, life-sized Elmo that waved mothers in. Leaning forward, Savannah noticed a comforting shadow blocking the sun's assault. It darkened the edge of the sidewalk, casting a cool reprieve across her legs, and then her entire body. Fear stole her breath. The piercing, intrusive script of her thoughts stuttered. Savannah stood, disbelieving. Tina's tiny treasures had been leveled. In its stead was a towering building, fused haphazardly to the subway that shared a wall with the hardware store. Savannah concentrated on the strange, patched-together seam between the sandwich shop and the ancient-looking structure. Tina's treasures? The empty sidewalk grew cool. Blood rushed to Savannah's ears as a summer breeze shifted the pool noodles outside Ace. She moved toward the impossible building, clutching her purchases beneath her odorous armpit. It was old, and at the same time, new. She'd have noticed such a blight before, surely. Yet here it was, 
stories higher than the squat mini-mall. The windows were black, taunting mouths. Savannah felt herself drawn to the peculiarly sentient edifice. A meek piece of her consciousness wondered where Tina's tiny treasures had gone, and if this meant she would have to buy her new baby's clothes at the Super Target. The throbbing forefront of her mind studied the building's classical lines. It bothered her how it was obviously from long ago, beautiful and designed with an architectural eye, but it had been crudely glued to the side of an artless, shoebox-like subway. The incongruity ate at her as she found herself stepping further into the cool, enveloping shadow of the behemoth. Hello? Yes? Savannah answered back as a question, her mind fuzzy from the confounding building and, more, from the feel of the sharp tools beneath her arm. A girl held the door open with her skinny elbow. You're looking for the baby shop. Yes. Where's it gone? It was here last week. Savannah's eyes finally focused on the small blonde girl. It was here a few moments ago. There was a woman walking by, holding a Tina's tiny treasure shopping bag. How does that make sense, Safi? That nickname brought an image of Mackenzie, rotund and insincere. Anger caused red polka dots to stipple Savannah's sight. They're close, I'm afraid. Permanently. You're coming in, aren't you? I'm busy. Savannah panted hearing the crinkling of the plastic bag at her side. She knew if she didn't go through with all of this now, the voice inside would get louder, and it would only work to question her, to prevent her from getting what she so desperately wanted, and what Mackenzie, it was clear, deserved. The girl with the blonde ringlets was eaten up by the door. She disappeared into the darkness as it creaked on rusted hinges, Perplexed as to why she'd given up on her so easily, Savannah followed. It was 20 degrees cooler, maybe more, than the Valley Mall lot. Savannah's eyes adjusted to the damp darkness. Her nostrils wiggled at the unmistakable scent of must. Goosebumps etched their way up her arms, ending at the short sleeves of her scrub top. My name's Victoria. Not that what we call ourselves really matters. I could say I'm Edith or George, and it wouldn't make a whit of difference, would it, Savannah? The girl leaned casually against a wall tattooed with mildewed wallpaper. Savannah bit down on the sensitive part of her lip, where she'd drawn blood earlier. This girl, Victoria, she was like the building. An old thing, haphazardly stuck to a new thing. Her formal hairstyle and her velvet dress with puff sleeves was wholly wrong. The girl patted at something cradled in her arms. And you know her name, don't you? Huh? Remember? Savannah's gaze dropped from Victoria's strangely wise face down to the item she carried. The baby doll's bald head and pink gummy smile forced Savannah to stumble back. She goggled at the impossible. It was more unbelievable than a building that sprouted from the ether. It's Donna. She bit harder at the familiar sight, tasting metal. Donna, her cabbage patch doll, the very one she'd walked around the neighborhood in a cheap plastic baby carriage, the one she'd rocked and fed and dressed. It had been her own small hands that had put on the striped pink sleep sack that Donna wore as she rested her head on Victoria's arm. All three of them made their way inside the confining lift in a surreal, quiet haze. Savannah supposed Victoria pushed a button, but she was too transfixed by the doll to even notice the door closing. Did you steal her? <laughs> Victoria clutched the Cabbage Patch doll tighter. The elevator trundled up, its vibrations waking Savannah from her momentary paralysis. She grabbed at Donna, 
swiftly removing her baby doll from the girl's pale hands. The plastic hardware store bag plummeted to the floor with a clang. Oh! Savannah pushed her thumbs into the baby's soft middle and then caressed her cold, bald head. Donna had been part of the preemie collection, smaller than most Cabbage Patch dolls. Touching her, feeling her weight, triggered a fresh seepage of rage. You stole her! From my things! Savannah couldn't remember where and when she'd last seen Donna. Had it been a decade, in the cramped attic bedroom that had once been hers? Or had Donna come to the apartment she shared with Kenji, tucked away in a box with old Polaroids and long-ago art projects? Whatever the case, this strange girl in the formal dress had taken her. Savannah concentrated on Donna's synthetic eyes. The earnest nature of the painted irises made her at once furious and melancholy. Her feet moved her off the lift and onto the second floor, while her brain only worked to understand the doll in her grip. You disapprove of stealing? Of course. Victoria swung the ace hardware bag Savannah had dropped. It thwacked against her little thigh. Unless it's justified. Unless a person truly deserves what they are stealing. I don't know what you... Savannah clamped her jaw shut. Where she stood, it was like Tina's tiny treasures, only better. A row of magnificent cribs stretched down either side of the endless corridor. Each one was different. Mahogany, rustic timber, gold-flecked ivory... Breathless, Savannah marveled at the beauty. Surrounding each crib was a tableau of what could be. There were rocking chairs, side tables with diaper holders of many colors, rugs, toys, and bookshelves decorated with pewter bears. Like a hapless component of an electrical charge, she was drawn to the pretty things, the things she always wanted but never seemed to have. For it was women like Mackenzie, like Dr. Schmidt, or like a vet who could have babies. Not her. Not her. As though to accentuate this point, Victoria stood beside Savannah and patted her empty womb with her tiny palm. There's something growing inside of you. Shut up! It's ugly. It's the opposite of what you want. It's all the bad ideas and mean, putrid thoughts, Savannah. You don't know. You have no idea how badly it hurts. A physical pain shot through Savannah's abdomen. The little girl paced, finally resting her arm on an oak crib. You hate her. Mackenzie. She was cruel to you in high school. Yes. She's haughty, spoiled, immature. Yes. And she's a mother. Of three, with another on the way. It's not fair. She wouldn't even care or notice. Blood coated Savannah's tongue. She bit through the pain, pleased at the taste. The oak crib with the giraffe mobile and cheetah-printed bumper called to her. Savannah reached out, touching the railing with a single finger. Victoria stepped away allowing Savannah to wrap her hand around the top rail. It was real. It was solid. You were going to use the saw. Savannah stared at one of the soft yellow giraffes. I don't want to hurt anyone. That's a lie. You want to hurt her. To make her suffer. For being a fertile myrtle. For being a brat. For being a mother. You were going to cut Mackenzie open, to get what you think you deserve. For the first time, Savannah admitted to herself that this was true. She'd only allowed herself fragmented ideas. But now, she could finally see the entirety of her plan. At this, the weight in her arms changed. She looked down to find Donna had disappeared. Instead... There was the hacksaw, 
wrapped in a soft baby blue blanket. Savannah gasped at its menacing teeth. The giraffe mobile began to spin. Trembling, Savannah dared to step closer to the crib, pressing her belly against the rails. The hacksaw slipped from her arms, sliding to the clapboard floor. Entranced by what she would find, Savannah peered down into the crib. The vibrant crimson of dried blood caught her eye. It was smeared against the cloth bumper sides and stippled across the jungle-themed comforter. A lifeless lump was visible beneath the gore. Nausea mixed with the deep well of anger as she slowly pulled the blanket. You've done this. You're responsible. And it didn't matter. Savannah's hands shook violently as she yanked the final inches off, revealing the blood-soaked head of an infant. Rivulets of red trailed down into the familiar pseudo-eyes. Savannah grabbed Donna, naked and tacky with blood, from the mattress. She clutched the doll to her chest, nearly drowning in her own grief and rage. No! There's something growing inside of you. Savannah staggered back, her eyes adjusting to her new reality. The rows of cribs filtered away, giving form to the sterile, hollow hall of a hospital It was the hazy, incomplete set change of a dream. Hello? Where'd you go? Desperation turns to sadness. And sadness turns to anger. If you don't stop, Savannah, it will grow larger. Hello? She raced down the hall, her sneakers squeaking on the waxed floor. Every room, even the nurse's station, was empty. Savannah stopped in what looked like a waiting room, one stocked with magazines displaying bright pictures of cherubic babies. Something rippled inside of her. It was unlike any sensation she'd felt before. It was as if her body wasn't her own. Savannah rested a hand on top of her belly, shocked to discover it had taken on a new, rotund shape. She set Donna carefully down on a chair and then returned both hands to her alien stomach. It grew by the second, straining the tight hem of her scrub top and stretching her pants to their max. Oh my god, I'm... It was too wonderful, too perfect to be true. Her belly button audibly jutted out with a pop while stretch marks carved uneven lines on her sides. Then the thing moved, twisting her insides and creating a bizarre ripple at the base of her enormous abdomen. She reveled in the feel. Tears muddied her vision as she desperately searched for its return against her skin. The scrub pants cut into her flesh. Savannah slipped them off. A piece of paper flitted to the floor. She removed her top next instantly greeted by a swollen pair of breasts that spilled over the cups of her bra. Had she willed this to be? Had she wanted a baby so ardently that the universe was providing? Savannah, you have to decide. You have to let the anger subside. Let it go. Otherwise, I... Savannah proudly massaged her massive belly. Her inner voice was trying to say something, but she muzzled it. Suddenly, a whoosh of liquid sloshed at her sneakers. She glanced down at the clear fluid, the nurse side of her waking at the immediacy of what had happened. Savannah touched her bare, wet thigh, realizing she was in labor. Alone. A walloping pain stole her breath causing her to sink her nails into the soft wood of the chair's arm. The anger, Savannah. It's holding you back. It made you think those things today. Make those vile plans. Savannah fell to her knees, grasping at her pained middle. Help! Help yourself! I need help! 
In nursing school, Savannah had witnessed many women in labor. She'd wondered what it might feel like a million times, but this wasn't what she'd expected. Blood, black and viscous, pooled beneath her. She was sure the baby inside, the thing, was eating its way out with razor teeth. Every nerve in her body was on fire, ratcheting up when she thought it wasn't possible to hurt anymore. Savannah tried, weakly, to crawl toward a hospital room, but her legs gave out in the bloodied muck. She flipped onto her back, trying to focus on the square tiles of the ceiling. Her vision waxed and waned, threatening to desert her. Drumbeats of rhythmic pain shook her entire frame. Savannah whimpered, wishing she had Kenji or anyone who could whisper refreshing axioms in her ear and assure her this was natural. But although she'd never carried a baby in her belly, Savannah knew this wasn't the way of things. The pain that blossomed inside of her was a different animal, a blistering pimple with only sludge to expel. She curled onto her side and, through the agony, could make out Victoria's patent leather shoes and frilled socks. The little girl knelt at Savannah's side, her eyes more sincere and empathetic than Donna's could ever be. She gently stroked Savannah's sweaty cheek. Release yourself! Savannah moaned, knowing that this fight had changed. She couldn't let what churned inside of her free. In its exodus, it would rip her apart. Her legs clanged together instinctively. She cried hot, fat tears, then held her breath, ignoring the urge to bear down and push the lava from within. It's not fair. It's not... It's not fair that Mackenzie... That anyone gets to be a mother, but not me. You're wrong. It shouldn't matter what we call ourselves, but it does. A seam of fire seemed to work its way through Savannah's middle. She leaned her head back, the ends of her black hair glossing through the putrid blood. Victoria grasped her hand. Savannah, you are a mother. You have been one since the day you got Donna. Do you remember? What? Do you remember? Savannah closed her eyelids, navigating through the intense pain. It had been her birthday, hot and sweaty just like today. Donna had been wrapped in mint green tissue paper. When Savannah had seen her, smiling and silently asking to be loved, she knew. Knew she was meant to be a mother. The good, warm, happy sort of mother who was born to it. An incredible sense of purpose burrowed its way into her tortured mind. She found the strength to sit up, to take in a long, lasting breath. I lost myself. Yes! It's it's not about fair. The little girl nodded. Savannah realized the pain was subsiding. The top of her belly deflated slowly like a pool float stuck with a slender pin. I am a mother. The sharp fragments of her rage splintered. She was left with only the purpose. Not of cribs and music mobiles, but of something else. Dressed in her soiled underwear, Savannah stood up in the sticky pool of her anger. I am a mother. What will you do about it? Victoria pointed to the chair where Donna waited, clean and dressed in her sleep sack. Beside her sat the hacksaw, wrapped in its blanket. Ashamed of how desperate, how angry she'd become, Savannah hung her head. Not that. Not that. She wasn't certain how she got back on the sidewalk, or how her scrubs were placed on her clean body, yet she was standing in the oppressive sun, 
Donna, Victoria, the building, and her bag from Ace Hardware had all left her. Alone. Savannah squinted at the assault of light, rubbing her flat stomach with her palm. She noticed that while the building had disappeared from its temporary place beside Subway, Tina's tiny treasures hadn't returned. The structure was the same, a utilitarian square, yet it had a new sign in the window. In fact, a woman with brilliant copper hair and a tattoo of a giraffe on her freckled arm was affixing the final letter to the glass. Tina's? Moved over to Arlendale Plaza, I think. The woman stepped down off a step stool, taking in her work. Oh, all right. Savannah still felt trapped in the whirlwind of what she'd just endured and what she'd nearly driven herself to do. How's it look? Straight, I hope. Savannah took a few paces back to read the words. Southwest Metro Child Adoption Services. She trembled. It's straight. Oh, thanks. It's hot as all get out. Uh-huh. Savannah lingered, thinking of Donna, who, she was now sure, she'd donated to a charity drive years earlier. We open next Tuesday. Okay. Would you like a pamphlet? Savannah smoothed down the front of her billowing scrub top. An emptiness filled within her. It was as though she was suddenly brimming with an indefinable emotion. Something, she guessed, a lot like hope. Yes. Yes, I would. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes pages. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier for Victoria to give you a ride on the lift. (laughs) 